0: You're listening to the Pursue God Men's Podcast, the official channel for biblical manhood at PursueGod.org. Find resources to talk about it with your family, men's group, or mentor at PursueGod.org forward slash men.
1: Okay, men, today we are in the fourth and final week of our leadership series. We've been studying these characters from the bible these men who are great leaders and and we're looking at how we can emulate their lives and learn from them we've talked in week 1 about Moses we talked in week 2 about Joshua last week we talked about Jonathan and John not Jonathan but John pastor John today we're going to we kind of saved i mean it's hard to argue we saved the best for last
0: yeah no conversation about leadership would be complete without talking about Jesus I think it's hard to argue that he is not the most influential leader in the history of the world. You know, if you define leadership as just getting people to go where you want them to go, you look at the sheer impact Jesus's teachings have had over the course of history. He was an amazing leader. And so we're going to talk about how to lead like Jesus today. This isn't going to be a comprehensive conversation. We'd have to spend several podcasts discussing all the different amazing ways that describe Jesus's leadership and how effective it was. So what we are going to do is focus on three characteristics of Jesus's leadership that we can work to incorporate as we lead at home, in the church, and even in the workplace.
1: The first characteristic is just, it's laser focus. Jesus had absolute clarity on the mission he didn't let the desires of others or even his own preferences get in the way of accomplishing what he was sent to do. Luke 2 verses 49 and 50 says, and he said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they didn't understand the statement that he spoke to them. John, what's going on here in Luke chapter 2? Who's speaking here? Which which Jesus, you know, which uh, what age, I guess, is the question for Jesus here. It's an interesting story.
0: Yeah, let's set the context for our listeners today. So Jesus is 12 years old, and as a devout Jewish family, his mom and dad had gone into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, one of the religious feasts they were called to celebrate every year. Jesus was with them, and then the family leaves Jerusalem and it sounds like they were part of a, a big party. Maybe, you know, many of the Jewish pilgrims from their hometown went together to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So they leave the city, assuming Jesus is with their group. But they get about a day away from Jerusalem and they realize he's not with them. And man, talk about pressure, moms and dads. Like you just lost the son of God. <laughs> you You get a day out and all of a sudden you can't find him. Uh, maybe you've been in like an amusement park or a grocery store, and you've had that three-minute panic when you lost one of your kids. I know I've experienced that. Well, it's a lot longer than that for Mary and Joseph. They go back to Jerusalem. They look for him for three days. And when they finally find him, he's interacting with the teachers of the law in the temple. He's listening to them. He's asking them questions. And that passage says that everyone marveled at his understanding. and. Mary and Joseph are, are upset, and, and I certainly can understand why. They, they've been scared. They've, you know, they, they, they didn't know what had happened to them. But Jesus' response to me is just so telling. It's so, I guess you'd call it matter of fact. He says, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? You know, Mom and dad, you, you know who I am. You know what the angel said about me. Would you expect anything less than this? You should have known that I'm going to be on mission. You should have known that I'm going to take every opportunity to be in my father's house, to engage in, in these conversations. And one of the things that this impresses on me is Jesus was on mission at a young age. I think sometimes in the church, Brian, we do our young people a disservice when we don't give them opportunities to be on mission while they're young. We have this impression that when they get older, that's when they can really get engaged in kingdom work. I just don't think that's true, and I've been convicted about it with my own kids. So dads, are you encouraging your kids to pursue God and to help others pursue God while they're young? Have you talked to your kids about discipleship? Have you talked to your kids about mentoring one of their friends? Because they can be on mission at a very young age.
1: So that's from the gospel of Luke and that's the young Jesus and then later on we see in the gospel of John John chapter 6 verses 14 and 15 we see how Jesus reacted to people who were even though they were well meaning they were trying to distract him from his mission it says there that when the people saw him do this miraculous sign it was after the feeding of the 5000 they they exclaimed surely he's the prophet we've been expecting and when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king he slipped away into the hills by himself. So John, this happened more than once in Jesus's ministry that the people had an expectation for him, but it didn't line up with his true, true mission from the Father.
0: I think it would have been so easy to get distracted. And as you mentioned, Brian, I, I think the people were well-meaning. They had just witnessed this miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 they, they feel like there's, there's more to this guy. I think some of them, even at this point, are, are thinking he's the Messiah. You know, we don't really see that language in this particular verse, but I, I, think they, I think that's what they mean by he's the prophet we've been expecting. I, I think that's a messianic uh, declaration, even though they don't use the word Messiah there. And Jesus is rightfully king, right? Jesus, Jesus is king, so why not let the crowds do what they want to do? Why not let the crowds make him king? I think it would have been so tempting to get carried up in the emotion of that and the adoration of the crowd. But Jesus knew the Father's plan was the plan. He knew that his time hadn't come, and he knew that he wasn't going to be the King of kings and Lord of lords by going man's way. That his path to being the King of kings was going to go through the cross. It wasn't going to go through people you know, making him king by force or coming in and getting rid of the Roman Empire. So Jesus had absolute clarity on the mission. We saw even from a young age, but even as he grows in popularity, even as more and more voices are trying to encourage him to do things, he maintains that clarity on what his purpose was and what his mission is. And I think that is a great question we should ask ourselves as men. Do we have clarity on the mission? Because the world is going to give you all types of ideas on what the mission is. Is the mission to accumulate the most wealth? Is your mission as a dad to provide a comfortable home and, and a nice educated upbringing for your kids? Is the mission to have the most fame, power, pleasure? And I want to say, guys, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that there's anything inherently evil in any of that. Those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but man, they can sure get us off track. So I've asked God to give me even more clarity as I've gotten older and as I realize how short time really is on this earth. And I feel like as a husband, what God has revealed to me as my mission as a husband is you know, Ephesians 5. I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm supposed to give myself up for her. I'm supposed to make her holy, set her apart. I'm supposed to wash her with the word, and then as a dad, my mission is to raise my children in the fear and understanding of the Lord. As a follower of Christ, so this is all of us. Maybe you're not a dad. Maybe you're not a husband. Maybe your young man listened and you're like, "Well, you haven't you haven't told me what my mission is yet." As every follower of Christ, our mission is to go full circle in our pursuit of God, and then help the next person do the same thing. Right? It's it's the great commission. The Great Commission is a co-mission with Jesus. So as you look at your calendar, as you look at your checkbook, would those reflect that you're on mission? Or would those reflect that the world has maybe kind of gotten you distracted? Again, not that those other things are bad. You know, to provide a a comfortable lifestyle for our kids isn't wrong in and of itself. You know, to, to have a nice home, those things are not bad. Influence is not bad. But they can become an idol quickly, and they can certainly get us distracted if we don't have clarity on what the ultimate ultimate win is.
1: Yeah, and I want to just put a plug in once again. You know, that's what the Pursue God resources are all, all about, especially this men's podcast, John, is we want to see more men go full circle. We want to see more men not just trust Jesus for salvation. That's huge. That's important. A lot of our listeners are believers. That's great. We don't want to just see men you know develop good habits meet with a mentor or you know go to a men's group and and uh, dis- develop spiritual disciplines that's great as well but going full circle means as you said getting on mission with Jesus and investing in another man so men out there if you want to if you really wanna, you know th- it drives me crazy whenever we go to church and there's a sermon about purpose and mission and everybody's thinking I wonder what my mission is <laughs> every chris every believer's mission is to in is to invest in somebody and disciple somebody that's that for sure we know from god's word now there there might be some specific things that god's called you to do on top of that but everyone is called to make disciples so that's a great thing to talk about even today with your men's group as you're discussing this topic is am i on mission with jesus am i helping somebody else pursue god and john it wasn't just the the crowd that was trying to make Jesus king. Even his own disciples were, I think, missing the point. They didn't fully have, they didn't have the clarity that Jesus had about his mission. The disciples had the wrong idea. Mark chapter eight, verses 31 to 33, it says that Jesus began to tell his disciples that the son of man, that's that's him, must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. And as he talked openly about this with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Can you believe that? <laughs> Peter's reprimanding Jesus. So Jesus turns around, he looks at his disciples, and then he reprimands Peter. He says, get away from me, Satan. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So even Peter sticks his foot in his mouth. Even Peter tried to distract Jesus from his laser focus on his mission.
0: And Jesus's response is very telling. This is the most severe rebuke we see Jesus issue to the disciples. I mean, he says, get away from me, Satan. And I think Peter had good intentions, Brian. I think Peter at this point, you know, truly loved Jesus. I think Peter was trying to protect Jesus. Peter also is still battling these preconceived notions about what the Messiah would do. How, how could the conquering King Messiah, you know, be handed over and be killed? So that there's all this confusion in Peter's mind which again, goes back to what we're talking about right now. He didn't have clarity on the mission. He didn't know what Jesus had to do to secure victory over sin and over death. Now, this is one of the reasons, to me, the connection with other believers is so important. The world is always going to pull you away from pursuing God. Now, sometimes I think it's unintentionally, but sometimes it's very intentionally. There is an agenda, We know that there is an enemy out there that's trying to keep us from pursuing God, trying to keep us from being on mission. So, for example, when you're trying to decide about taking a new job offer, what's the first thing the world would ask? First thing the world's going to say, well, does it pay more? Does it give you more advancement opportunities, right? I mean, that's the first thing that usually comes up, but you need to bounce that off of someone who's going to say, how's this going to affect your ability to love your wife and kids well? How is this new job going to affect your time for serving the kingdom? Is this new job a good use of the gifts that God has given you? Again, earning more money is not a bad thing. I'm not saying that God never calls us to take the better paying job. Sometimes that's the job God wants us to take and praise God that he blesses us financially. But again, if that's the first question we ask, if that's the first thing that comes to our mind, that's probably an indication that maybe we don't have clarity then maybe we're getting really kind of bogged down in the temporal stuff and in, and not in the eternal stuff. you know I think of some impact and some some feedback I had from Christian men in my life. I, I used to coach football, and when I was coaching, I rarely watched college games on the weekend, even though I love college football. but I just felt like I was already committing you know 20 to 25 hours a week between practices and and weights and watching film and, and then traveling to games. I just thought it would be irresponsible to take more time away from my family and, and spend it watching football on the weekend. And I remember when I would tell my coaching buddies that, who are not believers, they couldn't believe it. They were like, wait a minute, if you don't watch any of the games on Saturday? How, how do you, <laughs> we know you love football. How do you not watch how do you not watch those games? Won't it make you a better coach? They would even kind of throw that at me. Like, I think you'd be a better coach if you watch more games. But when I told my close Christian brothers, in fact, when I told some of the other pastors on staff, they would say, well, ah, that makes sense. You don't want it to be an idol in your life. You know, you're already taking a lot of time away from your wife and kids. I, I can understand why you wouldn't want to do that. And so I knew the value of bouncing ideas off of men who love Jesus and who care for me. I I knew the value of being connected with men who could help me have clarity on the win. Right, it's so important, guys. If you're listening to this today, and and you're what you would call maybe a rogue Christian, you're like John. I I believe in Jesus. I read my Bible. You know, I love God, but I don't really need others around me. I would just say that is that's not a wise place to be
1: and i think it's also not setting a good example if you are a dad it's not setting a good example for your kids especially your sons you know one of the one of the things i think my son will get one of the lessons that he will have learned from me over the years is just guys like you other men in my life that are that are you know battle buddies for me men that are godly men that are my friends that he that he knows hold me accountable cuz he needs that in his life not just now as a 20 year old he's going to need that when he's our age and so 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 dads don't just think about it with your with with your needs in mind think about it with your kids needs in mind that that they need to see that there are other people in your life that are supporting you and encouraging you and challenging you that you're you're living, you're living out this mission with other guys who are also living out this mission. And one of our campuses, John, that I'm involved with right now is it's so neat to see their men's group on Saturday morning. I'm, I'm sure they're listening to this podcast and, and uh, many men's groups listen to this podcast. Man, there's something powerful about men who get up early, take some time to get in the word together. Guys, dads, let your kids see that. When they're old enough, involve them in that. Bring them with you. Let them be around. Um, man, one of the one of the series that we have on PursueGod.org is systematic theology, and and we put it we put that series together. And I brought some leaders in in our church through that series, and I intentionally invited my son to be a part of that, and a couple of other young men to be a part of that. And so the, so so those young guys got to be in a room for months with some other godly men who are studying the Word together. That was even more valuable than me sitting down with those young men. It was, I think it was even more valuable for them to see other godly men who are, who are just as into the Word as I am. They're just as into mission and disciple-making as I am. It sent a message to my son that I think will 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 suit him will serve him for the rest of his life and, and that's really kind of what our second point is about that that Jesus was intentional about taking advantage of teachable moments so uh, you know the first thing that we can emulate is that Jesus was laser focused on his mission but the second thing is is kind of how he used these teachable moments he didn't let the urgent get in the way of the important he knew that he had a limited amount of time to invest in his disciples and he wanted to make the most of every opportunity. And we see this in Mark chapter eight, starting in verse 14, it says the disciples had forgotten to bring some food. They were going around doing ministry. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them. He said, beware the feast of the Pharisees or the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And at this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. I'll let you unpack this here, John, but let me finish the story. It's actually kind of humorous. Jesus knew what they were saying. And so he says, why are you still arguing about bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Or are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? They said 12. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many baskets did you pick up? Seven. He says, don't you understand yet? So so Jesus is is in the boat. I love that Mark includes this, John, this... This this picture of of maybe what you would think of, it's this isn't a worthy story for Mark to have included in his short gospel, but he includes it for a reason. And I think it's because he wanted to show that Jesus was always about investing in and teaching his disciples.
0: I think that is one of the things that model, or characterizes, I should say, Jesus' leadership. Yeah, from start to finish, once he starts his earthly ministry at least, he was always taking advantage of teachable moments with the disciples. So here they've, they, they've headed out on the lake. Now they're away from the noise of the crowds. And he says, hey, watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And as you mentioned, they have no idea what he's talking about. They think it's because they had forgotten to, to bring bread on the trip. They only had one loaf. It says Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? He's going to drill down into what he's talking about. This idea of of self-righteousness and pride really is the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And he wants to help them unpack that. Jesus was so patient with them. You know, this isn't the first time he's had this conversation. He does reprimand them in this lesson a little bit. You know, he says, "Don't, don't you understand yet? You have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. So there's a little bit of a reprimand here. Now, we know that Jesus didn't overreact when he did this. He didn't lose his cool. You know, it wasn't just some negative reaction because he was sinless. He was perfect. But sometimes we have to point out obvious foolishness when we're in a teaching moment. You know, we, we want to be very careful that we're not prideful when we do it, lest we fall into the same temptation. There's a warning about that to us in the New Testament. But sometimes we have to be pretty direct and straightforward. You know, not only with our kids, but even with others that we're mentoring or others that we're discipling. I think I've erred Brian several times on the side of not being clear and direct with people and and honestly it hurts my heart now because they have they've made some mistakes, they've fallen into some sin that, you know, again only God can change the heart, but maybe my words could have had an impact. I think of a of a young man that that I had been mentoring and he put his faith in Christ and he wanted to be baptized. And I knew that he was seeing this young lady seriously and I I thought they might be living together, but instead of just coming right out and asking, hey, are you guys sleeping together? I said, are you honoring God in your physical relationship with your girlfriend? And he said, yeah, I am. So I I thought that meant... <laughs> He was honoring God in their physical relationship. Well, I just found out not very long ago that she's pregnant. He told me. He was excited about it. Now, again, I want them to be excited that they have this new life coming in the world, but he clearly hasn't been honoring God. They've clearly been sleeping together. And so I think now when I asked that question, he just thought, I meant, are you only sleeping with her? Like, are you being loyal to her? And man, that was a punch in the gut that I should have just come right out and asked him just very directly, you know, in a teachable moment, hey, God's word says, you know, we save sex for marriage. Are you guys sleeping together? So, man, I know it's hard. Like, I, you know, I've had some of those awkward conversations with my boys about purity. I've had conversations with my boys about, you know, coarse joking and those things. And I know, I know it can feel weird at the time, and you might even feel hypocritical. You might say, well, man, how can I talk to my sons about coarse joking when I've been guilty of that. Well, you know, I'm not saying we have to be perfect and, and and that can be a really cool moment where you you let your son know, "Man, I'm still growing in this area, guys. I'm still trying to get better at this." But let's honor Jesus in this. The other thing that we see in the life of Jesus and his disciples, that there's a pattern that you see over and over in the gospels where Jesus gives a public teaching, we would probably call it a sermon. He's doing it to a large group of people. And then as soon as they're alone, he has to explain it to the disciples. They, they say, we don't get it. We don't understand what you're saying, Jesus. And so the sermon wasn't enough. And I know this is a passion for you, Brian. I know this is one of the reasons, again, that we have to Pursue God resources, that if Jesus, the greatest preacher of all times, didn't teach in a way where the disciples fully got it after listening to a sermon, they needed one-on-one time with him. They needed small group conversation. How much more do the people in our lives need that?
1: Yeah, and that's what Moses talks about all the way back in Deuteronomy 6. You know, he said, this is, this is at the end of Moses' life. The, the, uh, the Israelites are about ready to take the promised land. He's giving them a final pep talk. And really, he's talking to fathers and grandfathers. And here's what he says. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's he's talking about teachable moments, isn't he? He's saying, he's saying you're about ready to take the promised land and don't just start planting gardens and And building homes, he's saying, invest in your kids. Man, it's so it's so it's such an encouragement for parents to realize that Moses is that focused. I mean, these are people that are about ready to to start a whole new society. They've been wandering in the in the wilderness for 40 years. They're about ready to start their society. And Moses is basically saying, the the foundation of your society is the family, where parents intentionally invest in their kids. They pass along the truth that we've given, that I've given you. And he's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about God's law. He says, look, share that. They're not going to just naturally know it. You've got to teach it to them. And you've got to be so diligent about it that you're repeating it again and again and again and again. And And John, so many parents, and we're talking to dads in this podcast, but so many dads just don't Ever even talk to their kids about things like this? Maybe they think, well, that's the mom's job, you know. And I'm, man, I know we're both passionate about this. Men, that is your job. It is your job to disciple your kid. It is your job, first and foremost. You're the spiritual leader in your home. So you have to look for these teachable moments.
0: It's your mission. And this, this ties back to the first point about having clarity. Dads, your mission as a dad is to look for these teachable moments. I mean, yes, you know, you're called to provide and, and work hard for your family. You know, you're, you're called to to be a servant leader, which we're going to look at at the end. But, but do not neglect your calling, your commissioning from God to be intentional about teaching your kids. You know, you mentioned, Brian, your, your son being part of your your men's group. I mean, even the dads listening, how many of you that have teenage sons invite your sons to listen to this podcast with you? If you have a 13, 14, 15-year-old son, they're old enough. <laughs> Again, they can start at a young age. They're old enough to re- to relate to some of the stuff we're talking about. They have questions about some of these topics that we're talking about. And I know it's not easy. I know there's a lot of awkward silence at times. I have. I have two sons that I was not nearly as intentional looking back as I wish I would have been, but I would say I was more intentional than most dads. And so so many of our conversations were awkward. They they just didn't have a lot to say. They didn't have a lot of input. They would give me one word answers. It was hard, but stick with it. Hang in there. I I guarantee you, I'm going to find out later in life they were pulling more from those conversations than I thought they were at the time that they're going to say something later in life. Like, yeah, dad, I remember when we talked about that or dad, I remember when you said this. So just because they're not really engaged in the moment or they're not contributing a lot to the conversation doesn't mean that they're not listening.
1: Uh, I would say to the dads who are, who are going to object and say, well, they're just going to roll their eyes at me. Who cares? So what? My son rolled his eyes at me on occasion when we would cover topics like this. And I would just like, I would just say, Age, look, I get it. I get it. I mean, you'd rather be doing something else, but I'm your dad and this is my job. I mean, it's just stuff like that you say to them. Learn how learn how to learn how to turn that into a teachable moment. Say, someday you're gonna be the dad and your kids are gonna roll their eyes at you. And that's okay. I hope you press through like I'm doing right now. <laughs> you turn it into a teachable moment, right? because you're right John your your kids want it even though they don't show it to you that they want it they want your attention they want your focus they want to talk to you about stuff that's important to you and or to them and and like you said John listening to a podcast one of the easier ways to do it is if you've got you know drive you're driving them to school you're driving them to practice say hey let's let's throw on a podcast let's listen to it together and then just if something comes up in the podcast that's worth talking about just hit pause and say hey what do you think about what do you think about that what do you think about Jesus' teachable moments what do you, what do you think about what Moses said there about int- how intentionally I think I was now we've got resources we've got discussion questions at on the men's page at pursuegod.org but you don't need those questions just hit the play the podcast when you're driving in the car and um Listen to it as uh, listen to as much of it as you as you can, and hit pause. AJ and I would do that a lot of times with these podcasts, or even with a book. We'll re- we'll listen to a book together. I remember we we took a took a four or five hour trip, and we listened to uh to just a book about um not letting Satan have a seat at the table, and we listened to the book all the way down there, and we just would hit pause every once in a while. Either I would or he would, as we talked about it. Man, that's so, that was such a powerful four or five hour trip. So many dads feel like, man, I don't know. It'd be awkward. I, I don't. I don't know what would happen. Just press through and do it. You'll be glad you did. Okay, John. So we've we've talked about the laser focus of Jesus. We've talked about how he turned regular moments into teaching moments. And the last thing is probably the the biggest thing when you think about Jesus. When you think about his. His example for us as a leader, I always think about this passage from John 13. This is before Jesus goes to the cross. This is at the Last Supper. It says there that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. And so here's what he did. He got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin, and then, then he began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that he had around him. And when he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. And Peter said, no, you will never. Here here we have Peter putting his foot in his mouth. No, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. John, what is going going on in this passage? Because for men today, this is unfamiliar, this this ser- I, we think of it as a ceremony, but what Jesus was doing was, was not even really even a ceremony. Jesus was doing something that the disciples, that Peter objected to, why did he object?
0: Well, that's another teachable moment, right? This connects to the last one. So washing someone's feet in that culture, was, it was the worst of the worst of the jobs. It, it's the job that the lowest servant on the totem pole in the house had, Think about that culture you 're walking around either barefoot or in sandals you're, you're walking on dirt roads you're walking amongst you know the animal dung I mean it just this was not a fun thing to do it was not a pretty sight and Jesus takes it upon himself to wash their feet and there, there's some cultural things to that that we don't even really get I mean to be honest with you, I don't even understand because we, we don't have slaves in our homes we don't you know but but Jesus basically takes the lowest position he could take. And I think verse 3 and 4 is so interesting, Brian, because it it starts out that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God so. That that word so there is so powerful. It connects verse 4 back to verse 3. The reason he did this, the, the, the catalyst for Jesus serving like this is because he knew he had full authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. You know, insecurities often cause us to not want to humble ourselves. Jesus didn't have an ounce of insecurity in him. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew the authority that he had, that he has. And so because of that, he was able to have this teachable moment where he takes the lowliest position, he washes the feet of the disciples. man what an example that he sets for us. You know, there, there was a time when leadership like this meant something, even in the secular culture. You know what, what did we used to call our elected officials? They were public servants. I'm not even sure we still call them that anymore. Do you? <laughs> I don't hear a lot about public service anymore, but that's the ideal. You know They're supposed to consider themselves servants to those that lead. And so as men, I believe the Bible calls us to be the leaders in our homes. That means we should be the biggest servant. And I just confess, even as I was preparing for this podcast, I thought of that. And I was like, man, I bet my kids would say my wife is the biggest servant in our home. In a lot of ways, my wife serves our children and serves me more than I serve them. Not, you know, I I work hard. I I I provide and and I do serve some, but I I just thought, man, I don't know if my kids would say I'm the biggest servant in my home. That that's not good, guys. Like if I'm going to lead like Jesus led, I I need to be the biggest servant. I need my wife and children to go, "Wow, dad serves." You know, if we want our wives and children to respect our leadership, we need to lead with their best in mind. And we need to lead in a way that models service to them.
1: And I could hear, John, some men saying, well, hold, hold on a second. you That's not my... You didn't just describe my wife. You know, I, I wish my wife was a servant. And so some of the men listening to this might say, you know, m- my wife isn't worthy of my service or my kids aren't worthy of my service. You know, they're disobedient or whatever. Look he, here's one of the things that strikes me about this story we just read from John thirteen. Judas was at the table, so Jesus went around washing everyone's feet. We see this interaction with Peter, but the more interesting interaction would have been with judas we don't we don't Judas didn't say anything to him at this point, but Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, and Jesus still washed judas's feet it Your servant leadership isn't about. The worthiness of the people in your home, your servant leadership is about you following the example of Jesus. If Jesus washed Judas's feet, even though Judas wasn't deserving of it, you should be willing to serve your wife, your kids, even if you've got a reason not to do it.
0: And. I would take that a step further, Brian, even if Judas wasn't at the table. None of the other 11 were worthy either. You know, we've seen how Peter tried to get them off track. You know, they're they're always arguing about who's going to be the greatest. So, yeah, Jesus's service to the disciples had nothing to do with their worthiness. It had everything to do with his character and, and the example that he modeled for us. And I would just say, man, hang in there. If you're in that situation where you don't feel like your wife and your kids respect your leadership, some of that may be merited, like you may not have led in a way that they should respect your leadership, and some of it may be unmerited. You might be doing everything right. Just be faithful. You know, I think of of Colossians where we're told to do everything is under the Lord. So the way that you serve your wife and kids, really, at the end of the day, you're doing it for God. You're doing it for Him. You're, you know, You're not doing it for them or for their approval.
1: Yeah, Paul said this in Philippians 2. He said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble servant, the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So John, this is showing us that You know, the the example in John 13, which which was toward the end of Jesus's earthly life, wasn't really, it wasn't even the pinnacle of it, of his servant leadership, was it?
0: Yeah, it really wasn't. I love that story. You know, I, I love the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. It's so powerful. But Jesus humbled himself long before he washed the feet of the disciples. Just the act of... Almighty God taking on flesh, leaving the comforts of heaven, being born in a manger, having to deal with hunger, thirst, fatigue, cold, heat, all the things that becoming fully man he had to deal with is such a powerful example of him humbling himself and leading by serving. And then the apex of that is when he went to the cross. So he goes to the cross, he dies a criminal's death. He's He's scorned, he's mocked, he's spit on, he's beaten. He did all that in humble submission to the will of the Father and in humble submission to to give us an opportunity to have relationship with him. So the, the foot-washing story is an amazing story about Jesus humbling himself, but it, it's definitely not the most powerful one in his life.
1: One more passage for today's episode, Matthew 20, starting at verse 25. It says, Jesus called his disciples together, and here's what he said. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man, that's him, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life. As a ransom for many. John, there's so much in this passage, but re- what really jumps out at me is verse 26 when he says, Among you it will be different. He doesn't say, but among you it should be different. He it's almost like he's putting on his prophet hat here. He says, No, it will be different among you. Jesus knew it would be different among his followers. And one of the reasons, John, I think it's probably worth saying this here at the end of the episode, you know, we're, we're talking about Um, being on mission, we're talking about turning regular moments into teachable moments. We're talking about being a servant leader, but none of this comes because of our willpower. None of this comes because we try really hard as men. Um, it, it comes because having trusted in Jesus for salvation, he puts his Holy Spirit in us. And the reason it will be different among his disciples is because, is because they would shortly after this they would have the holy spirit the power source from within that changes our hearts it changes our our ability to love our wives and kids and people in our world at work whatever it, the reason it will be different for our listeners is because the holy spirit is the one who's moving within us to allow us to be leaders like jesus
0: and i would imagine when jesus first said that there was probably even a little unbelief on the part of the disciples. And the only reason I say that is this, this conversation, this charge from Jesus about, Hey, it's going to be different. It comes right on the heels of the disciples being ticked off at James and John for asking to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus. Like that's what triggers this conversation. And, and so I would imagine there's even an element of, eh, you know, is it really going to be different? But to your point, Once they encounter the resurrected Christ, and once they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, it's radically different. You see these same guys who who fled the night that Jesus was arrested stand before the authorities and say, hey, we've got to either obey God or you, and we're going to pick God. I mean, just this radical transformation because of the power of the Holy Spirit, and we do see them serve. You know, we, we do see them humble themselves. We, we see them even give their lives. The majority of the disciples were martyred. They give their lives for the gospel. And so if, if Jesus didn't come to be served, even though he deserves it, you know, we've talked a little about, well, what if they don't deserve it? Jesus deserved for us to serve him. In fact, Jesus still deserves that. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we trust in him, he deserves our obedience he deserves our service. He bought it at a price, at a very high price. He gave his life on the cross for us. So we can't have the attitude of expecting people to serve us. I, I, I won't mention names or anything like that, but you know there are, there are ministers of the gospel out there who expect their congregation to serve them and put them on a pedestal. And, and treat, you've seen him, you've seen him on, you know, you've seen the guy, the pastor somewhere in Missouri whose congregation didn't buy him a luxury watch, and he blasted them in the middle of a sermon about how unfaithful. I mean, that is, that is not how Jesus called us to lead. So if we want to be great men, if we want to be a leader in the kingdom of heaven, we better learn how to be a servant.
1: Hey, man, thanks for listening to the podcast. That was lesson four out of four in our Leadership Principles for Men series. And so if you want to go through this four-week series with your men's group or even just with your son or your sons, you can find all of it online. Again, it's called Leadership Principles for Men. Find it all. PursueGod.org forward slash men.